Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I am barely awake, as usual, over here on the West Coast. Are you making me feel guilty that you have to do this too early at 9 in the morning? Is that too early for you? Well, see, 9 in the morning should not be too early for most people, but I swear uh, it, it tends to be really – I feel guilty that I'm you know, intruding at the end of your workday. Exactly. It's, it's after 5 p.m., so we should both go home. But we're not going to because we have a guest this <laughs> we week. We are home. <laughs> John Cornicello is a photographer in Seattle, and John knows a lot about lenses. And we had uh, a recent discussion about lenses, and John is going to fill in some of the information that we presented. John, thank you for joining us. Welcome. Thank you. So when we had our previous episode that was just about distortion, we were focused on how to deal with distortion after the fact in software. And then you wrote us an email saying there were a few things that we didn't really discuss much because we were you know, talking about uh, the software aspect of it rather than the shooting aspect. When we talk about lenses and the design of lenses, distortion has a specific meaning. And that refers to barrel or pin cushion distortion, uh, which you think is the first thing you talked about, uh, which is correctable in Lightroom and Camera Raw and other programs like that. So um, barrel distortion is where the corners pull in and the edges bow, bow out. And pin cushion distortion is the opposite, where the edges pull in and the corners pull out of the image. Um, and those are designed into the lens according to where the diaphragm is in, within the elements of the lens. As you're out shooting and thinking about these things, how much of this are you keeping in your mind in terms of where the light is and all that versus just making a composition? Because, for example, zooming versus moving the camera and how a lot of people just assume that when you zoom, you're doing the same thing as, as getting your camera closer. And that turns out to not be correct. Right. So when you move closer to a subject, the subject gets bigger rapidly, but the background stays the same size. So the background seems to become smaller as you move in closer to the subject. When you zoom a lens, the background and the subject relationship stays the same. Everything gets larger or smaller at the same time. So when you zoom a lens, it's just like cropping. Cropping, yes. It's cropping in pre-production instead of post-production. Right. Right. But we don't always have a choice. Just before we started recording, you were saying that when you go shoot, you'll take two zoom lenses, but not everyone does that. So right. we don't always have the choice to do that. And there are, I mean, the alternatives are, for example, um, I have a 28 millimeter lens on a Leica Q2 monochrome. And that's a very wide angle lens for what I shoot, but it's the high enough resolution that I can crop easily. So that crop is pretty much the same as using a zoom lens, right? Yes, as long as you don't move in closer to your subject. Exactly, exactly. And that's where I say, you know, people blame the lens. Uh, you can All over the, the web, you can find these examples of showing what happens to a portrait when you take it with these various lenses from like a 14 millimeter to do a 200 and you see this wild distortion of the face. Uh, when, the, when they use the 14 millimeter lens, the nose is large, the eyes are smaller, the ears can't even be seen. And that's a really strange perspective on the person. Uh, but they say that's because it's a 14 millimeter lens, but it's really because they got 
six inches away from the subject. Right. They just use the 14 millimeter lens to fit the subject in. If they had a hundred millimeter lens, they either couldn't focus that close or they just get the tip of the nose. Uh, so what they're really showing is this distance the subject looks like this. And I pick this lens to fill the frame. When I move back, the subject looks like this and I pick a longer lens to fill the frame. Because uh, I, I heard someone once saying, you know, I switched to my 70 to 200 to get the, the compression I wanted and then I had to move back. But the reality is you moved back and then you switched to the 70 to 200 to fill the frame. Right. You moved back to get the compression. But when you see comparisons of portraits with different lenses, they tend to crop the face of the person so it's the same size in all the photographs. So that means with the 14 millimeter lens, they're going to be up really close to fill the frame. Mm -hmm. And as the focal length gets longer, they're going to move back to keep filling the frame. But the problem is that the distortion inherent in the distance, mm -hmm. which is caused by the use of a wider angle lens isn't really what's happening. As you say, if you maintain a longer distance and just crop, you won't see that distortion. Right. The, the, the lens is not what's causing the distortion. It's the, it's the closeness to the subject, um, which I think you had reversed in there. When you're switching lenses, you're moving back and making it longer. You're not cropping afterwards. No. If you, mm -hmm. if you crop to make the face the same size in all your photos, mm -hmm. regardless of the focal length, then the more you go back the more you're going to have to crop. Correct. And you're going to lose resolution. Right. But, but the perspective yeah. is, is going to change too. Um, if you don't move the lens, say I'm, I stay, stay 14 feet away from the subject, shoot it with the 14. I've got a wide view. Shoot it with the 24. It gets narrower. It keeps getting narrower as we go to the 200. But the face looks exactly the same in all of them. Right. Just smaller in size. You can blow them up and lose resolution. Exactly. Which is what happens with your, your camera with the fixed 28. You know, you stand back at the same distance and you take the picture. But once you start moving in closer, you're changing the perspective, even though you're not changing the lens. Right. This seems like one of those photography perpetuated things where – because we've seen so many of those grids of people mm -hmm. where they're showing the distortion. And so – it just becomes commonly accepted that, oh, well, obviously this wide-angle lens causes distortion and the other one doesn't. And I think it, because it gets repeated and perpetuated that we just sort of assume that's the case, like just assuming that you have to follow the rule of thirds or some of these other <laughs> photographic things that I think just because as you're learning photography, you hear these things so many times. Mm -hmm. For me at least, when I was first reading your stuff – it was a little bit confusing because I had internalized that, no, if I'm going to use a wide-angle lens, no matter where I'm standing, it's always going to be distorted. So, oh, geez, I don't want to do that. But, of course, there are times when you can do that. And if you know how this works, mm -hmm. then you can be deliberate about it. Well, and it's nothing new. There's a, a book called Photographic Lenses and Shutters from 1940. And in it, <laughs> it's – I'm going to quote from it. There's been much discussion on the effect of focal length on perspective, and it's unfortunate that it has become an accepted but erroneous belief that a long focus lens is required for proper rendering perspective values, which is not the case. It can be proved that under equal conditions, the perspective effect with a short focal length lens is identical with that of a long focal length type, providing the camera position is relatively the same and that the objects are more than six feet from the lens. So you're telling me that physics and glass have not changed in <laughs> 80 years? <laughs> and on top of that, back then, they didn't have as many different lenses. 
I'm sure the technology didn't allow for telephoto lenses uh, at high focal lengths, did they? Yes, actually. But you were talking about 4 by 5 and 8 by 10 cameras. Yes, where you'd okay. Have, you know, on a 4 by 5 your normal lens is 150 millimeters. Right. On a 5 by 7 it's around 210. And on a mm. 8 by 10 normal lens is 300 millimeters. But people would shoot portraits with a 600 millimeter lens on an 8 by 10 camera. Right. So that's another thing, as you said, the focal length of the lens has to do with the distance between the aperture and the film or the sensor, right? So well, in those cameras, the there was a larger distance, so the focal length had to be longer to make it mm -hmm. similar to, let's say, the standard 50 millimeter. Right. At the time, there wasn't a standard 50 millimeter because we didn't have miniature cameras. Right. They were just starting to come out. Yeah. Yeah. So so those press cameras, the big press cameras like Ouija used, those were four by mm -hmm. five, right? Usually, yes. Yeah. Sometimes a five by seven. And and they had what sort of focal length? Uh the four by five, one fifty to two hundred millimeter usually. And that would be about what compared to a, a focal length on a thirty five millimeter? Fifty to eighty five. Okay. So that's why in those photos because um, uh, I read a book about Ouija recently and I was looking at his photos, you don't get any of that distortion because he's not too close because mm -hmm. he knows how to work with his lens and also because he's using a flash so he knows he can't get too close either. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of journalists tend to like a 35-millimeter lens on a um, full-frame 35-millimeter camera because it lets you get in a little closer and a little more intimate. You know, you feel like you're within the frame almost. right. Or if you shoot with a 200 millimeter lens, you're definitely voyeuristic, um, somewhere on the outside, coming into the scene. So it, you were talking about curvilinear distortion before. Can you correct for that when enlarging and printing a photo? Not like we can in software now. I mean, we can. You, if you tilt the camera like to shoot up at a building, some of that can be corrected by tilting an easel when right. you're printing. But I, I can't think of. The only way I can think of is by printing using the same lens that you photographed instead of an enlarger lens, a camera uh, lens, some, maybe right. some sort of or a fisheye lens in the enlarger. Mm, right. So you go in the opposite direction. Be because I'm thinking back to all those photos from, you know, the early days of street photography. You don't see distortion. It's just not a thing. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any that I can think of that are really... I mean, there are some photographers who, who worked in close and there's some figure photographers that had some strange um, perspectives, but they were getting in closer, doing uh, macro work or... Um, well, well, if you look at Edward Weston's nudes, for example, you probably mm -hmm. see a little bit of that because he was pretty close. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to think what lenses he used. The, the other one to think of is Ansel Adams, where he used longer lenses. He's a landscape photographer. Yeah. But... His lenses, in 35 millimeter terms, would probably be 85 to 100 millimeter, right. uh, depending on you know, you know he was using a eight by ten. He might have been in the 400 to 600 millimeter range. Mm. So, mm. I think the problem comes up when, first of all, as you're too close, you're going to get distortion, mm -hmm. and that's why in selfies people have big noses. Um, mm -hmm. because it's not the lens, but it's the distance because their arms aren't long enough. Right. What's the focal length of your iPhone camera? Lens? It's like a 1.5 millimeter lens, right? The focal length is really tiny. It's probably 
three or four millimeter. Yeah, but it's, but it's, mm-hmm. it's tiny. You know, if you go into Lightroom and look at it, it'll tell you the actual focal length and sometimes the equivalent 35. So even a, a compact camera like the Canon G series or something like that, that has a small sensor, their focal length range might be 10 millimeter to 25 millimeter, where 10 is their wide, 25 is their long. The 25 on a bigger camera would force you to get in closer and would start distorting. But again, it's the distance that's causing the distortion, not the lens. I'm just looking at photos I've taken with my iPhone 13 Pro, and I'm seeing things like mm-hmm. 26 millimeters, 77 millimeters. They used to show the actual focal length, like the 1.5 or 2.3 or whatever. What um, are you looking at, the XF Info? In- I'm looking at the XF Info in, app, in the Apple Photos app. Okay. They're, so they're showing Lightroom a 35 millimeter show. equivalent, but they didn't used to do that, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with the Photos app, but if you moved it into Lightroom or probably into capture one or the like they would tell you the the actual focal length okay i i have a question about lenses that i've always wondered um Mm -hmm. every time you see a presentation of a new lens they describe that it's got 11 elements in six groups what does that mean Mm -hmm. and why should we care it doesn't mean anything to you as the consumer and there's no reason to care Right. Uh-huh. That's what I thought. So why would they say that? That's like saying that, I don't know, a car engine has 2.3 millimeter spark plugs or something. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the design of the lens. You can't do anything about it. Um, no, but is, is a lens with 12 elements better than a lens with six elements or is it less good? It's neither. Um, okay. That's what the design requires. <laughs> I mean, they, they plug all these numbers now into a computer and come up with this optical design. It used to be done by hand. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it take weeks sometimes to design a lens that could be designed in an hour now. Yeah. But um, oh, it's, wow. so there's, there's aberrations that need to be corrected. There's things like, um, like we said, distortion, barrel distortion. There's astigmatism. Uh, there's coma um, where the lights, the corners pull out. You know, you, instead of circles at the corners, they pull out into different shapes. So you take one lens of one design and another lens element of another design, cement them together, and they correct each other. Right. And, and that's the, the lens designer does all that. I mean, if they can get away with, with two elements, I mean, some telephoto lenses might have only five or six elements, where a wide-angle lens might have many. Um, but, yeah, to to the consumer, it's... It doesn't matter because it is what it is. Yeah. And there's also lens correction in the camera. So the camera itself, the camera's processor is correcting for some of the things that we can also correct in software, right? Yes. um, With uh, if you're shooting JPEG in camera, the RAWs shouldn't be affected in camera, but they are affected like Lightroom has. um, Lens profiles. Lens profiles. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, if a lens has super wide dis- barrel distortion, like a 16 millimeter lens, uh, the Lightroom corrects it for you when it imports. Uh, from so if you if you get the lens before Lightroom has a, a profile for it, you may see more distortion hmm. and have to correct it yourself. So one thing that I'm curious about is when you're shooting out somewhere and you're dealing with a background compared to shooting in the studio because you do a lot of studio work. Mm-hmm. When you're uh, shooting portraits in the studio and let's say you just have a, a generic background, mm-hmm. are you pretty much just using 
like one lens that you like or are you still making these calculations in terms of how far you're going to be away from the person? In that sort of controlled setting, are you thinking, I know everything that's going on here and so I'm always going to have my full-frame camera and my 35-millimeter lens and I'm going to stand right here? What's the difference between those those scenarios? Okay, so in the studio, I try to be about five to six feet away from the subject for normal headshot perspective um, where the eyes, nose, and ears are going to be kind of relatively the same distance as we see them in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's some reason I want to distort something, then I come in closer and switch to a shorter lens. So I'm at the six-foot distance, I'm usually using the 70 to 200, and I'm probably around 85 to 100 millimeter range for a headshot. I, for a full body length, I may back up a little bit more and go to a shorter lens to fill the frame, full body top to bottom. Where the distance coverage comes in in the studio is if you have a, a narrow background, say you, you've got this sheet of paper that you like as a background and it's only three feet wide, uh, mm-hmm. the closer you are to the person, their shoulders are going to be off the, the background. As you move back, the angle of view comes in cl- tighter and everything fits on the background. So if you're maybe five feet from the subject, they may be slightly off the background. If I move back to 10 feet from the subject, they're fit within the background. And again, that's something where, say, in that circumstances, you would stand farther back so that they are framed within that narrow background. And then in software, you'd probably crop in so that you're not seeing the stuff at the sides. Well, by being further back, I've... I've already cropped out the stuff at the sides in the camera. Backing up makes the background larger. So if if the background is too small to fit the person or a group of people on, the further I move back, the more the background fills the frame. As I was saying earlier, as you move in closer to your subject, the background recedes quickly and gets smaller. As you back up away from your subject, the background grows grows larger. And that's what we call compression. And this is just basic geometry, right? Pretty much. So I'm just trying to think back at all the paintings that I've seen, like Renaissance paintings in the museums, and they kind of trick with that. They they play with that background distance, don't they? Um, sometimes you see a background that looks like it's 10 feet behind the Greek god or whatever, but the castle's really tiny. So that's a kind of an aberration that the painter has chosen to give an effect because people don't know what it looks like anyway, right? Right. But the painter has the option to make anything any size they want of course. within the frame. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're constrained by physics. Yeah. Are we? Can Our we get cameras. around that somehow? There must be a way. <laughs> there must be another dimension. There's all these different lenses. I mean, for my Fujifilm camera, I've got a half a dozen primes and a couple of zooms. Mm-hmm. What's the best lens? The one that fits the situation you're in. <laughs> Good answer. But what would be the lens that can be applicable to most situations? Again, we're not talking an Ansel Adams um, right. landscape. We're not talking yeah. macro photography. What would be the most versatile lens? I'm thinking a zoom lens here. What kind of range? Oh, your, your 24 to 100 range. It can fit most most situations. I think it's a great carry around lens. Mm. Yeah. 24 is quite wide. Right, but you don't have to use it, but, it'll, but it's there if you need it. Right, yeah. There probably aren't a lot of times you need it, but Right, yeah. but if you have only a 24, you're tempted to get in closer to your subject all the time. 
And you get this intimate feeling with the subject, but you also get the distortion from being too close. Right. You know, I always say the short lens doesn't make the distortion, but attempts you to get in close to get that distortion. Right. It's up to you to, to maintain where you want to be. Right. And so with my Leica Q2 monochrome, a 28 millimeter lens, full frame, what I find is that since it's 47 megapixels and I have so much croppability that mm-hmm. I'm not even tempted to get close when I'm shooting something. When Good. I'm shooting, I know I can crop. <laughs> and so I can avoid the distortion, except uh, in that episode, the photo of the church I took, I couldn't move any further. I went as far mm-hmm. back to a wall as I could. But the ability to have the higher resolution means that with a wide angle lens, you have the opportunity to crop a lot more. Yes, when you have the resolution. Yeah. Exactly. Because that's what cropping in after post-production uh, loses resolution. I saw someone commenting on a Facebook group. Um, a couple days ago, I think this was a Leica group. Uh, he was talking about the new Leica M11, which goes up to 60 megapixels, but mm-hmm. lets you shoot in three resolutions. And he was saying, I figured it out. The perfect resolution is 24 megapixels. And that kind of sounds like I figured it out. The perfect lens is 50 millimeters because he's assuming 24 megapixels meets all the situations and doesn't take into account the fact that you may need to crop a lot. And it depends on your perspective on photography too. Cause I mean, there's artists who will never crop. I mean, that's their whole thing is I, I get it right in camera and there's artists who crop all the time. Hmm. Uh, so it, it depends on your perspective of how you want to handle the situation. I'm willing to crop my pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering if people spend too much time thinking about lenses I mean, I know the lens is really the tool. The camera itself is not the tool. It's the lens that makes all the difference. But do people spend too much time worrying about lenses, just getting just the right focal length? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, just watching people shoot. Not, it's not a conscious thing, but most people today are carrying zooms with them. Mm. So they'll find a position, stake their position, and then zoom in and out to to get the look they want or the, the frame, it's the framing you want. Because uh, the look stays the same from the same position. Right. I think we mentioned earlier, or maybe before we started, that you know, lens focal length is like wrenches. You know, what's your favorite wrench? Uh, you know, <laughs> if I have a nine millimeter bolt, I need a nine millimeter wrench for it. I don't know. I want a zoom wrench, right? <laughs> I want a left-handed monkey wrench. wrench. <laughs> yeah, your zoom is your adjustable wrench. Exactly. Okay, John Cornicello, thank you very much. There's a lot to think about here. Um, it, it does go against, as Jeff was saying in the beginning, goes against that sort of received wisdom. Um, I think everyone, it might be a good experiment if our listeners went out with lenses and did this sort of experiment, going in close, going back and cropping mm-hmm. and making the comparison and looking at the distortion. Um, I, I think it's an interesting way to understand, to better understand which lens you want for a given photo. Right. I mean, as you look well, at these things on the web, take it with a grain of salt. Go out and try it yourself. So many times people post into forums, what yeah. happens if I do this? Do it. Yeah. You mean, it's, it's digital. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not even, it's not even costing the film and the processing. <laughs> try it yeah. yourself. I mean, the old adage was put on the one lens and then zoom with your feet. Unfortunately, you can't zoom with your feet. The idea behind it is great to get up and move. Get a different perspective. Get down low, get down high, get in mm. close, step back, and see what happens to the image. John also has a video that he created that was specifically about zooming versus moving the camera, and we'll link to that in the show notes. 
Great. Thank you. Okay. John Cornicello, thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Okay. Time for our snapshots. What have you got, Uh, Jeff? I have something not necessarily photographic, but essential to photographers. Uh, It's coffee related. (laughs) It is an AeroPress Go. An AeroPress is a method of making coffee. It's been around for a long time. It's basically like a big plunger that you, you put the coffee in and use the plunger to force the water through the coffee. It's a really good way of having quick single coffee at home in the morning or it's also good for traveling. And so I bought this this AeroPress Go and the difference between the Go and the regular one is basically packaging and it has everything self-contained. The reason I got this is because by the time this episode comes out, I will be back. But Next week, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. for a conference, and I'm going to be in a hotel, which means I'm going to be drinking hotel coffee. Now, there's Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks and everything all around, but hotel coffee is terrible. Wait, 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 wait. You you can't get good coffee in hotels over there? It has been my experience that hotel coffee is generally execrable. Oh, okay, because hotels over here kind of make it a thing to have good coffee oh. because there are so many coffee shops, all the different Starbucks and Costa mm-hmm. and Nero. So the hotels have to have good coffee. No, as I well. think they go the other direction because they think, oh, well, okay. There, there are so many other options available around you that why should we put any money into it? And so hotels. At least when I was in New York and in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago, uh, the hotel coffee was, you know, little pod machines and it's always stale and it's always terrible. And the thing is I will sometimes have coffee at night if I need to stay up and work. And so sometimes Starbucks won't be open. So I'm going to bring this with me and bring some coffee so that I can just make my own in the hotel room. Now, it's it's not terribly cheap. You think it should be cheap. It's about $35, $30. But I can also take this camping, uh, you know, go on photo workshops, all that kind of stuff. So it's the AeroPress Go. I must say that I always bring tea when I go to a hotel because they only have tea bags in hotels and I'm a tea snob. So I can kind of relate to what you're doing yeah, there. Yeah, and that gives you the ability to have the tea that you want rather than the terrible stuff. Yeah. The dust in a tea bag. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what do you have this week? Well, I also have something very important for photographers. Good. It is my recipe for a cranberry margarita. Oh. Um, now, cranberry juice is not easy to get in this country. You don't get those bottles of Ocean Spray unsweetened cranberry juice. You only get the sort of cranberry juice fruit drink with sweetened water. So you can get cranberry juice kind of like a health food brand from Amazon um, in small bottles. And I really like a margarita and I really – cranberry juice is one of those things I've always liked but I've missed for a long time. Mm. So I found this wonderful recipe. I'll give it in milliliters first, then ounces. Uh, 60 mils of tequila, 60 mils of cranberry juice, 30 mils of triple sec, 30 mils of lime juice, 5 mils of agave syrup, and if you have it, some margarita bitters. Now, that means 2 ounces of cranberry juice and tequila, 1 ounce of triple sec and lime juice. So two parts, one part, and then a little bit of agave syrup and margarita bitters. Now, you can either put sugar on the rim or salt. I tend to like salt, but sugar can go well with cranberries. So um, you drop it in your mixer with some ice, you shake it up. 32 times, and then you serve. Nice. I like this theme that we have. Very important for photographers. I was going to say, I like this theme. You start with me and coffee, and then we end after a day of photography making cocktails. This is perfect. 
Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to make one of them this evening. I, you're going to have to wait a few hours to be able to do it because it's not even 10 o'clock where you are. Well, you know, I'm a freelancer, so I technically could, but I also do need to get some work done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast. 